thought about something, uh, I guess this week, thinking through this message. Uh, what is the scariest thing that a parent can do for their child? What is the scariest thing that a parent can do for their child? Now, at this point, y'all are coming up with some interesting ideas, different thoughts, but I propose to you the scariest thing that we can do for our kids is take off their training wheels. All right. Now, here's why. All right. Your child may crash. Or worse, they don't crash. Follow me, follow me. If they don't crash, here's what they're going to do. Mommy, Daddy, I did it. I did it on my own. What's next? Walking to school without holding my hand? Getting on the bus? Telling me to stay inside? How about this? Driving? College? No! And it all began... I took off the training wheels, right? Independence is a good thing, right? Well, it depends on what that thing is. Sure, we want our kids to experience everything that God wants for them, all right? God has a beautiful purpose and a plan for every one of His children. And we want them to experience the fullness of what that is. And so in a way, independence, sure, in some ways is a good thing. But not always, because listen, church guests, you and I were never meant to live this life alone. We never were. We were built in order to depend upon each other. That's why we gather here on Sundays. That's why even more so we have small groups where we can really pour into each other's lives uh, with, I don't know, 3 to about 16, 17 people. That's why we do it because we're not meant to live alone. Let me take it a step further. We were never meant to live without God. Never meant to live without God. We were meant to always depend upon Him. And you say, well, that's because we have sin in the world. No. Adam and Eve in a perfect environment without sin were built to depend upon God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 6. Because uh, what we're going to find out in the passage today is that Jesus' disciples... Okay, As you know, what we've already been covering, we're doing a series on the seven signs, the seven miracles of Jesus. And what we find out is that the disciples, they were eyewitnesses to all the various signs and the miracles that he did. He healed people. That was pretty cool. Some people he healed right in front of him, others 20 miles away. Jesus turned water into wine. Now listen, if we were Catholic or Presbyterian, we'd be like, yeah, you know, but we're Baptists. Are you sure it wasn't grape juice? Okay. Anyways, uh, he turned water into wine. How about this? He multiplied bread and fish. That's amazing. What did that mean to the disciples, though, who were following them? What did that mean to them? If we can pierce into their hearts, we'd know that. But do we really know? Well, the answer to that is yes. Because Jesus never does anything flippantly. Everything that Jesus does, He does in order for us to grow in our love and knowledge and understanding of who God is. So that we can experience a deeper walk with Him. And I believe a greater time in eternity because of it. So, to the disciples, 
Was Jesus just maybe a novelty that, that you want to have around when you're hungry or thirsty? Well, that's what the multitude did. Last week, we were in John 6 at the beginning and at the end of it. It's a long chapter. Uh, if you're there, you, you see it. Well, Jesus fed 5,000 men. That's not including the women and the children. So the disciples saw Jesus do this. Multiply loaves and fishes. It was awesome. The people, though... They didn't want a, a, a savior, a lord, or anything. They wanted someone to keep feeding them, all right? They all wanted to be part of Jesus' uh, welfare program, so to speak. Man, let's just hang out with Jesus, and we won't go hungry again. We'll, we'll experience great times in life. If one of us catches a cold, just go to Jesus. It'll all be great. We will live the next 50, 60, 70 years in absolute perfection, and we don't even have to care about anything, not relationships. We don't need to care about God because Jesus is right there and, you know, it seems like he does nice things to everybody. But God has a different plan for us. He had a different plan for the multitude, which we talked about last week, and he's got a plan for these disciples. I believe that in some ways, even though the disciples knew a lot about Jesus, I believe that they thought that his presence was still optional in their life. Still optional in our, he's there to help us to get to the next level, all right? So we may be doing okay, but we need that extra credit so Jesus will come in. But listen, they needed to find out that Jesus is much more. If you're in John chapter 6, I'm going to just kind of say this from the beginning. John chapter 6 is written by one of the disciples themselves. John, all right? Not John the Baptist. John, one of the disciples, the brother of John, uh, of James. He's writing from his perspective in this, in this story. All right. So you got to see it from ground level. Mark does a great job in his gospel to kind of see it from Jesus' perspective. So we'll kind of touch on both of them. But let's start in John chapter 6 and let's see it from ground level what this looks like. In John chapter 6, verse 16 and following, here's what the scripture says. When the evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat. And they started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. All right, let's back up. The disciples needed to go across the sea to another town. All right, so that's a given. They needed to go. To these disciples, listen, that was no big deal. Some of these some of these disciples, they were fishermen. Hey, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they knew how to fish. They knew how to row, row, row their boat. They knew how to do this stuff. It was just like riding a bike. I could hear some of them saying, hey, where'd, where'd Jesus go? Don't worry, we don't need Jesus babysitting us all the time. We got this. I mean, sure, if someone loses an arm, let's call Jesus, all right? If we're starving, let's call Jesus. But we got the boat thing. We got this taken care of. Because to us, it was just another day at the lake, right? Have you come to find out that just another day are the very days that problems surface? And problems did surface for these disciples. In this seemingly normal night, they had it covered. They didn't need Jesus right there. They experienced darkness. Darkness. They couldn't see much. They experienced 
heavy winds. Mark's gospel talks about there even being storms. All right, So bad stuff was happening here. The darkness, the heavy winds, Mark would say the storms, those were big problems. But it wasn't the biggest problem for the disciples. The biggest problem was that they were without Jesus. Listen to what um, preacher and and commentary uh, writer Lloyd Ogilvie says. He said, so these disciples, they push out to cross the sea, but shortly they find themselves in dire straits. For now, darkness and a violent wind and a heavy sea are suddenly about to overwhelm them. And Jesus was not with them. What a picture of our contemporary existence. Terrifying problems that defy human solution. The breakdown of our primary human relationships. We see it all the time. Violence and anger becoming more and more the disorder of the day. While a sense of hopelessness and despair seem to paralyze the human spirit. Everything, he said, seems out of control. It is a dark and stormy night at sea. And there does not seem to be anybody in the boat that can save them. Does this paragraph describe our world today? Absolutely it does. Let's take it a step further. Does this paragraph describe you? No matter what hat you're wearing, all right? Whether you're a successful person, not so successful... Or let's take that even a step further. Someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ or those who haven't. The things in this paragraph affect every one of us. We live continuously in a dark and stormy night at sea. What's catching you off guard today? What's beating you? All over the boat of your life. What, what is it that's doing that? And where's Jesus? Right? Where's Jesus? Here, I want to just make a side note. Okay, remember I said that John gives us account of the disciples, right? According to the disciples, Jesus is not around. But Mark gives us a little bit of a bigger picture. Did Jesus really leave them alone? The answer to that is no. Because look at what Mark 6 says. Mark 6, verse 47 and 48, the same story. This is uh, Mark's take on it. He says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And Jesus, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Jesus was there. They didn't see Jesus, but Jesus saw them. That's insane. And it says about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Can you just imagine that for a moment? They couldn't see Jesus, man. The waves and everything, they were so focused on what was in front of them. They weren't even looking for Jesus. How many of you have been there? 
You're so caught up in the wind and wave of your life, uh, whether it was a phone call that you received, or, or whether you were involved in an accident yourself, or something didn't feel right, and the doctor said it's because it isn't right, or you find an unexpected tragedy that happens right in front of you. Sometimes the last thing we do is to look for Jesus. And instead we try to figure it out on our own. We get our oars out and we keep trying to press and press and press. And we're getting nowhere. The disciples couldn't see Jesus. But Jesus saw them. Let me go back to the illustration. Remember dad uh, uh, doing the training wheels? Think about it. When you're on your training wheels as a kid, you're excited, you're pumped. But as soon as you feel dad letting go or mom uh, or parent or guardian, you know, uh, listen, as you're going, you start getting nervous. You start getting nervous. Okay. The only thing you're focused on is what's in front of you, like that big tree. Okay. That's what you're scared about. But guess what? There's someone right behind you. You may be focused on all the craziness in front of you. But there's someone right behind you that's focused on you. It's a scary place to be, trusting God. Scary place to be. Let's go to verse 19. John 6, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, and at this point, uh, speaking of the Sea of Galilee, they're basically right there in the middle of the water. Okay, so yipes. Right in the middle of the water. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Listen, the disciples were scared to death, and rightly so. They were rowing their hearts out. They were fearing death and drowning. And right there in the middle of the sea, they they were right there. No land in sight. As a matter of fact, the only sight that they saw was something in the water coming towards them, and that really scared them. Mark says that they thought they were seeing a ghost, so they didn't know who or what was coming towards them, and so they were scared to death. You know what they were probably thinking? When they saw this person or thing come toward them, the water, the waves, everything beating them down, One more thing. This is it. This is the end, folks. It's not like one person saw it and, dude, you're just hallucinating. All the disciples saw this person coming towards them. And they thought to themselves, probably, guys, let's hold hands. We're about to meet our maker. And it's true. They were about to meet their maker. But under completely different circumstances than they thought. Okay, They were not to meet Jesus in death, but in deliverance. Jesus says in verse 20, what great comforting words. He says, it is I. The Greek is ego ami. And what that means has nothing to do with waffles. Okay, Ego ami means I am. You're scared because you don't know what or who's coming towards you. Jesus' response is, I am. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they knew they were about to meet their maker. And as it became clear, they realized who the great I am was. The very Jesus that they had been following. He says, it is I. 
Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. The very thing or the very person that gave them more fear than the wind, the waves, and all the water, the very one who gave them great fear was the very one who was coming to take their fear away. And that is to be God for all of us. If you do not know God or you reject God, there must be great fear there because He is high. He is holy. He is above all things. He is the just judge. And if He's just, then I know who I am. I'm a criminal towards God because I lie, I steal, I cheat, I lust, I covet, I take His name in vain. I don't give Him the honor that's due His name. So if I stand before the great judge who has given me laws and commands to follow and obey, I know that I am guilty before him. There should be great fear. But listen, what Jesus does is he comes to us in our fear. And he says, if you would trust me, if you would trust me to take all of your sin, all of your rebellion, all of your law-breaking, all of your, your lusts, all of your lying, all of your stealing, all your cheating, uh, whether it's of the mind or of the action, if you would instead give it to me, I will pay for it for you. And I will, I will not just be the great and mighty God for you. I can be your Lord and your Savior. To free you from everything that brings you fear. And listen, if I am for you, and I am the higher than the high, the greater than the great, if you come to me, you fear nothing. You have nothing to fear. So he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Listen, many of us in our times of wind and waves in our lives, we tend to run from God in our greatest point of need. And we do that for various reasons. Some of us, because of doubt. Is God really able to help me? Pastor Scott, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done to others. I don't. I know what I've done. And and what I have done was worthy of me being eternally separated from God in a place called hell where I justly deserve to go as everyone else. And yet, the scripture says that His grace is greater than all my sin. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds in Romans chapter 5. Are you kidding me? So, I say this with, with all due honor and respect towards you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. If you would put your faith and the trust in the one who can forgive all sin, that would include your sin. And you can rest in the one who can save you. To some of us, it's not just doubts, it's disillusionment. Some of us, some of us are the disciples, probably like a Judas Iscariot, who's still rowing the boat. Jesus is right there, walking on the water. Okay? Coming towards you. And you're like, oh, that's, that's freaky. I don't want to go there. And you, you're still rowing. You're still trying to do it yourself. You're still trying to live the good life. You're still trying to get ahead in the world. You're trying to do whatever it takes so that maybe someday, if you get it all figured out, you could stand before God one day and say, I didn't need Jesus. I've done it on my own. 
How many of y'all have ever tempted to do that before? Raise your hand. That would be everybody, okay, before Christ. You've all done that. I've done that. But praise God, he came to me, opened my eyes to see my great need for him to get in my boat, to get in my life and rescue me. You can too. Some of us, it's distractions. Some of you are dealing with things that you know you can't solve. And you have come to family, you have come to friends, and they have given you the weirdest advice ever. Let Jesus get in your boat. And you're like, ah, that's the last thing I need is more religion in my life. I don't need any more weight in my boat. I'm sinking. So we wrestle with those things. But I'm here to tell you, at your very point of need is the exact same place where Jesus calls you to rest in Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's Jesus outside the boat, walking on the water. Okay? The disciples in the boat, frantic, scared to death about the wind and waves. But when they say Jesus, they stop rowing, except maybe Judas over there, okay, us. And they're freaking out because there's something even more scary than all of that. And it's God Himself right there, wanting to be invited into the boat. Can you believe that? Jesus is asking you to trust Him. Listen, it's scary to trust in God, isn't it? Letting go of Him means letting go of everything you're holding on. It means letting go of the oar. That's what it means. It means giving Jesus the reins of your life. It means trusting in somebody else for your days, for your life, and for your eternal life. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. That's scary because we are self-made people. And for, for us to respond to that, it's scandalous. That Jesus is willing to do all that for us with us not doing any work except just receiving him into the boat of our life, that's, that's the decision you need to make. You have to ask yourself, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus who he says he is? Will you let Jesus enter your life? With all your circumstances, all your pain, all your grief, all your despair and all of your sin... Are you willing to bring Jesus into your life and trust Him? Well, how did the disciples respond, okay? Uh, we may be uh, on, the, on the verge. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. How does the disciples respond to this request? Look at verse 21. John six twenty one says this. Then they, the disciples, they were glad to take Him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. How how did they respond? Listen, they were pumped that the very one that they had been following, they still didn't know everything about him. But to know that Jesus, walking on the water, was willing to come into the boat with them and to bring them a peace and a calm that they desperately needed, they didn't say, well, if you want to. I think that's how sometimes we, we, we treat making a decision for Jesus. 
you know, maybe I'll do it today. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know. I feel up to it. Are you kidding me? That's like those... I'm not a big fan of, of churches who have uh, quirky little signs, you know, really goofy stuff. Uh, you know, like, like Christian t-shirts. Some of them are just, they're just cheesy. It'd be better for you just to put your service times on it. You know, that's about it. But some of them, there was one I read. It said, try Jesus because the devil will always take you back. Wait a minute. So it's, is, is that how, how, how we think about Christianity? You know what? Today I'm kind of feeling like I need a savior. So today I'll do it. But if, if he doesn't cut it for me, okay, if he doesn't give me health, wealth, prosperity, I can always go back to my old life. That's, that's heresy. And that, that's honestly, that's spitting at the face of Christ to think about what he has done for you and I. He is joyfully waiting for us. And he doesn't have to. He's God. But he's calling us to call him in. He's outside the boat. What did the, what did the disciples do? Well, Jesus, can you give me a day or so to think about it? They were like, are you kidding? I'm drowning. Save my soul. They gladly received Jesus. They didn't ask him 20 questions. Well, in a minute, who was your real daddy? You know, they weren't asking weird questions to him. They were like, we're in trouble and we need a savior. Come in. So Jesus did. And when he did... Immediately, it says, the boat was at the land to which they were going. So, how did the disciples respond? They received Jesus in the boat. Jesus did meet them at their point of need, and they gladly and desperately received him. Jesus wanted to show his disciples that he wasn't just a magician, okay? He wasn't just a a food truck. Alright? Jesus was something more than that. He was who he claimed to be. Listen, Jesus is greater and grander than you and I could ever imagine. Walking on the water, getting into a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and as soon as he gets in there immediately on land, this tells me that Jesus has authority over everything. Gravity and geography bend to Jesus' will. He doesn't bend to theirs. Are you kidding me? You know who should have been a friend of Jesus? Wiley Coyote. Think about that. He could have survived a whole... I'm sorry, that was too far. But gravity bends to Jesus. He doesn't bend to them. But listen, right here to us, Jesus is our peace in the midst of life's despairs. So whatever storm you're going through, listen to this. God is watching. And God is with you. He knows. He cares. And he will deliver you at the right time. That is so important. For the rest of these miracles, everything has to do with God's timing, not yours or mine. Every one of them. Whether it's Lazarus, whether it's a man who was born blind. And this one right here. Jesus came at the right time. We want him to come before the storm happens. And when we do, we never get to experience the desperate need for him. 
God knew what was about to happen, and he allowed it to happen for a greater good. So let me ask you this. How does one receive Jesus into their life, right? Our response to Jesus is to receive him into our life. How does that happen? In one word, there's actually two. In one word, repentance. Repent means to have a change of mind towards Jesus Christ. Okay, to not think of him the way that you used to think of him. Oh, he was a great story in Sunday school, all right? In youth, he was the guy that if I, if I pray good enough and I stay away from bad things, I could probably stay pure to a You know, we had these weird ideals of Jesus. But Jesus, he just claimed to be who, uh, who he said he was. He's the very son of God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's the one who desires, doesn't have to have a relationship with us, but he wants to. We're the ones that need a relationship with him. He doesn't need one with us. And yet, by his own free, beautiful, wonderful choice, he chooses to call us into his fold. That's insane. So to repent means that we have a change of mind towards Jesus. Whatever we used to think about him, now we realize he is no mere man, nor is he just a good man or a religious figure. Listen, this is so important for you and I today. That Jesus is more than those things. Because receiving just another person into your sinking boat or life is just going to make things worse. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're drowning right now, the worst thing someone can do is give you a weight set. A bag of potatoes. That's what empty religion does to us. That's what good morals do to you. They may feel good for a moment until you run out of air. What you need is a lifesaver. What you need is a life preserver. When you're drowning sink deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, you need one thing. One thing, you need someone to lift you. And the lifter of our souls is Jesus. So you need to repent. You need to change the way you think about Jesus and see him as the holy son of God and the savior of the world. You need someone who can rescue you. You need a savior. And as I said before, he's the only one qualified to do that. Because listen, as good as some of y'all are, and I think some of y'all actually like me. Some of y'all do, all right? And, and some of y'all may be willing to take a bullet for me. I don't know. I'd like to think I'm willing to take the bullet for some of y'all. No, I'm kidding. I'd like to think that. But guess what? If you were in trouble, and I'm talking a trouble that lasts eternity, for me to come alongside you and say, don't worry, I'll take your punishment for you, there's a problem. Because I too, without Jesus, I'm eternally condemned. So I can't pay my own penalty. How in the world am I going to be able to pay yours? It's impossible. You and I need to find someone who can pay for our eternal sin. You and I need a Savior. And the only one qualified to do that is God. And there He is. On the cross. Taking your sin and mine upon Himself. And calling you to, number one, repent. Change your mind about who he is. Change your mind about who you are. How about that? Change your mind about who you are. Can you admit that you don't have it all together? 
Can you admit that, that, that terrible word that people don't like to say? You're a sinner. You sin. You have to admit that. You have to repent of thinking you're okay and you got it all figured out. You've got to be willing to give your life up for Jesus. You see, for Jesus to get in that boat, he becomes captain, not you. Did you hear that? Jesus willingly wants to get in the boat, and he'll only get in if, you're willingly, if you willingly receive him into your boat. But when you do, you take off the captain's hat, and he's, he's the captain. And you're, you could be first mate, who knows, I don't care. But he's captain. Are you willing to do that? That's what repentance means. The second thing you need to do to receive Jesus in your life, repent and believe. Believe in Jesus as Lord, as master of your life. You see, John's passage right here in John chapter 6, it alludes to something in the Old Testament that only the Lord can do. That only God can do. Look at, or just look on the screen. Psalm 107, verse 28 to 30. Listen to this, it's so powerful. The psalmist says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. What did this passage just say? The passage just said, the Lord is the one who does that, and the Lord's the only one who can do that. And what John just said was that Jesus just did that. So who is Jesus? Who is he? He's the Lord. That's exactly who he is. That's who the disciples needed to know about him. They needed to believe. They needed to repent of their thinking about Jesus, repent of their life that was turning away from God. They needed to come to Him and believe that He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. The very disciples right here in this passage experienced what only the Lord could do. And listen to this. Their belief in Him was so strong that when all of the world forsook Jesus... They held fast. If you're in John 6, that's the rest of this passage. The next day, Jesus comes and explains to them why he fed them over 5,000 people the day before. He explains this to the people. He says that he is the bread of life. And what they needed to do is they needed to come to him. If they wanted to follow the will of God, it was to believe on the one who he sent. And he gave them a hard message. A hard message of giving their life over to God by trusting Him, by eating the the, the bread and the flesh and drinking. It's a weird, weird story. And because of this, it says that they all left Him. John 6, 6, 6. Okay? It says that they all left Him. But then look at verse 67. John 6, verse 67 to 69 says this. So Jesus, imagine this. The crowds that were there that he fed yesterday, gone. Jesus looks around to the choir and he goes, All right, 12, what about you? He says, Do you want to go away as well? And check out what Simon Peter says. He says, Lord, ding, 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 ding. Lord, to whom shall we go? 
For you have the words of eternal life. And now we have believed and have come to know. Not just head knowledge. We've come to know experientially that you are the Holy One of God. I do not believe that Peter would have said that if he didn't experience those storms the night before. And you and I, we, we, we shake our fists because we're going through a hard time. It could be the, the very reason you're going through that hard time is because God is some way, somehow trying to shake you free of some idols in your life that you're clinging to instead of Jesus. He's allowing you and I to go through storms, but listen very carefully. If you're a child of God, if you have put your faith and trust in the Lord and Savior, listen to me, God hasn't left you. It may feel like he's alone, but you know what? He's on the shore watching. He's making sure that this is going to happen and this is not going to happen. I don't know what that means in full, but I trust that he is the Lord and Savior. And I need to repent of my false thinking of him, Get a true thinking of him. and Believe that he is the son of God. So the disciples, they put their faith and trust in him. Even when life got rough. So let me ask you. Have you called on God to save you from the waves of sin, separation, despair, guilt, and hell? I mean, when you call on Jesus by the authority of God's word, he will save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13 says. God wants to give you cleansing. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you hope. And his desire is to give you heaven for all of eternity. If you would... Invite him into the boat of your life. So I close with this question. Will you do that? Will you receive Jesus into your boat? Your rickety, crickety boat. This morning. Let's pray. Father God, you're better than we think. You're higher than the highest thought we can ever imagine. Gravity and geography bend to your will. You are a God who brings peace and joy in the midst of dire despair. And God, if it's for our ultimate eternal good, you will allow despair to happen because you're after more than just a few moments of fleeting bliss. You're after eternal life for all who would put their trust and faith in you. So God, my prayer is twofold. Prayer for those who do not yet know you and to those who do know you. Father, first of all, those who who are far from you, those who are still pondering the claims of Christ, God, my prayer to them is that they would realize their desperate need just like the disciples did. All their questions are constantly being answered and yet they're still trying to pick apart another question, another thing. God, help us to understand we can't fully know the majesty and the might of who you are. But God, we need to know that today, this very moment, we need a Savior. 
So God, would they please receive you by repentance and faith. God, that they would trust you above their fleeting feelings. That they would understand that they need to depend upon your might, your strength, and your provision, not our own failing weakness. God, that they would come forward today and receive you as Savior and Lord of their life to never again be caught without Jesus in the midst of the storms. Father God, I pray for those who have put their trust in you. But God, we have forgotten. We have forgotten that we need you in the boat. We, we, we thank you for saving us, but we, we push you aside and saying, I could handle today. This is normal. I got this. Forgive us for telling the captain what to do. God, this morning that we would repent of that. That we would once again put you in the driver's seat, in the captain's chair. God, that means we need to forsake certain sins in our life, Lord. That we know they're sins, but we are rationalizing and, and just talking those things away. God, my prayer is that we would give it up. Give it all for you today. You're worthy and you're worth it. Our freedom in you has been bought by Jesus. But God, I know that I can snuff out my relationships. I can snuff out my my fellowship with you because I'm holding on to sin. So God, I want a restored fellowship with you this morning. So God, help us to let it go. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.